Hello, my name is Amy Claridge, and if it's edible, then I'm interested. And I'm particularly interested, what always fascinates me, is people who are innovative. But my guest uh, today is Simon Croson. He's an award-winning commercial beekeeper. He's a keen lover of nature. And I saw that he was doing something connected to bees, but not directly, and I was fascinated. Simon, welcome. And you're starting to grow saffron which I just find fascinating and I don't understand why we're not all doing it. Hi Amy thanks for having me along. Uh, yeah um, saffron wow how did that happen? As, as you've already uh, said I'm, I'm a beekeeper. Um, I'm very conscious about the world in which my bees live and how little flowering plants or how few flowering plants there are at particular times of the year and I'm also a keen horticulturalist gardener so I want some nice colour in my garden at uh, particular times of year and looking at some of the other autumn flowering plants autumn flowering crocuses I thought well wow I can get hold of saffron crocuses and they could possibly get some saffron as well. So they look fantastic. So you've got some beautiful colour in the garden. The bees, not just my honeybees, uh, bumblebees, all sorts of other pollinators visit them. So it, it's like a win-win. Now, for those that aren't familiar with saffron, and when we think of saffron, we often think of Spanish cooking, particularly paella. For those not familiar with saffron who haven't cooked with it, it's... It's a part of the crocus. It's a part of a small, bold flower. So can you explain in real sort of simple language what saffron is? Yeah, uh, it, as you said, it, it comes from the, the crocus uh, family. It's crocus sativus. Um, and I don't know exactly where it naturally occurs in the, in the world, but I, I know Morocco is very famous for it. Um, and, it and it grows there. It, it, it grows here naturally, so it's. I don't think it's that difficult for them to grow. Uh, they cultivate the bulbs and they harvest the saffron um, from the stamens, um, and also they propagate bulbs, which they pass on. I get my saffron crocus bulbs from a wholesaler, and the the actual saffron itself is. I'm led to believe. The most valuable herb or spice in in the world because to get a small amount it takes such a a lot of uh, bulbs and the time spent in, in collecting and, and picking the uh, the stamens and stamens are the little uh, sort of deep red sort of little antennae that come out of the middle of the flower is that the right way to put it that, I think that's a really good description because people, I, I saw when you said antennae that come out, yeah, um, and you get around about two or three on each on each flower. And um, are they are they the things that the bees will land on? No, they're, they're not. the The bees will actually go to the to the anthers for the pollen, and also they will get right down into the base of the flower to the nectaries to take up some of the nectar. So the bees aren't really interested in the stamens that are collected to produce the saffron. But by visiting each flower, they will collect some pollen and then they will transfer that pollen onto the stamens, onto, onto all the flowers. 
It got me thinking about how, at what point in time and history, somebody discovered that that particular stamen of that particular type of crocus was both edible and also had other uses as well. I've been doing a bit of research because I'm nosy like that, because it's such an interesting subject. And much to my surprise, saffron has been around for three and a half thousand years, which I thought was wow. fascinating. And it extends yeah, beyond all these food cultures, because really, I mean, I've brought I have bought some saffron in the past. I think there's some in my cupboard at the moment. Um, and I really only use it for paella. Uh, that sort of Spanish seafood rice dish. And uh, I feel quite bad about that because I should really be trying it with other things. I mean, it's, but it's got a reputation, as you say, for being costly, but you can use it for seasoning and you can use it for fragrance and medicine and also dye. And what I hadn't twigged was that actually same, uh, actually um, saffron is used as, a, or has been used as a dye in India. And uh, I'm, I'm quite familiar with the Kilim rug, which is a flat woven rug that is dyed with vegetables. And I, I realise now that one of those colours on there, the orangey yellow one, must be saffron. saffron. And I yeah. just find that fascinating. And it also begs the question why we don't, I mean, we don't have any Lincolnshire um, saffron growers and I can't think of any actually, to be quite honest. And, and what on earth, you know, I mean, I understand you, you wanted to do it because of the bees and your, your colour to your garden, but do you think there's an opportunity here for you to grow it commercially? I'm, I'm sure there is, and I don't know personally, but I know there are a few commercial growers in, in the country. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a really, really interestingly named place just down the road in Cambridgeshire, Saffron Walden. Um, and they oh. grew, they grew, have you heard of Saffron Walden? I do, I know Saffron yeah, Walden. I hadn't connected, so there's a connection with Saffron, with Saffron Walden. Yeah, where they grew no it idea. commercially for quite a long time I'm led to believe but but maybe um trade routes and everything they brought it they allowed saffron to come in from uh, far and wide at a a lot more cost effective way of bringing it into the country rather than growing uh, you know us growing it ourselves but um I've seen recently somewhere else in the country somebody's doing it well where we are up in our little little place which you visited um i started putting saffron bulbs in about four years ago and some of them have disappeared because mice and rats sort of enjoy them a little bit more but um for the last two or three years the plantings have managed to uh, look after themselves and and re-emerge so i'm building on it uh, each year and and adding to it and not just saffron crocuses other crocuses as well so maybe in time I'll be able to harvest, you know, a little bit more. What I've harvested at the moment is a very, very small amount, but I like playing with different spirits and I've done some saffron gin with some of our honey. So, really? I mean, you mentioned the colour and how, how good a diet is and it, and it instantly, a small amount, does colour. The flavour's not that intense, but I'm, I'm working on that. I've often wondered that with saffron in, in terms of whether I can when I cook some, when I cook a dish, you know, paella again, you know, I'm not very, obviously I'm far less adventurous than I realise, whether I can kind of separate the flavour of it when I'm eating it. And that sort of fascinates me as well, because it's there, You when you read a lot of cookbooks, it says it's there for the colour. It says that it's there to, it reminds me of turmeric in a way, it's there to colour yeah. the dish. And it's there to, to, and I just, 
and I've, I have, uh, and I've heard the taste of saffron being described as being like hay, which doesn't really sell it to you, does it? No, it doesn't. But I don't know whether you've noticed because I've used saffron for for a long, long time uh, before I before I kept bees. And when you first put those little filaments of saffron into your rice dish or whatever, you when it interacts with the moisture and the warmth you do for a very brief period of time get that god that's the saffron smell but then it, it almost evaporates and, and you benefit more from the color but it must it must give a little bit of something now, coincidentally today um and completely unconnected i got a message today from somebody on social media asking me if i had a recipe for saffron buns and i thought oh saffron buns is interesting and I didn't know I didn't know what they were to be quite honest, and I haven't made them before. And apparently they're Cornish. So Cornwall has a saffron bun, and it looks a little bit like um, it looks. I have to describe it. Um, it's quite smooth, like a hot cross bun, quite sort of smooth in texture. And it made me wonder if there's a connection with Cornwall and saffron. And I guess maybe because it gets the it gets the warmth first, doesn't it? You know, famous Cornish new potatoes and daffodils. Yeah, yeah. And we've we've all read yeah. the Minnick Chronicles, and I wondered if there's that connection as well. But going back to your going back to where you're growing your your uh, yours, are they out? Are they outside? You've got polytunnels, haven't you? Yes. Um, the first year I I grew them, I planted around about five hundred or a thousand bulbs inside. And I know they, they all flowered, which was very, very good. I grew them all in pots. And then later on, because they flower around about September, October time. And then later on, November, December, almost every single pot was upturned by visitors in the night and oh, devoured. No. Oh, so subsequent plantings have all been outside in the soil and I would say 75% of those have survived up to now. So, when so they, that's the way forward. So your harvesting period is September time, roughly. Oct yeah, September, October. Yeah. So when you when you go and I guess you're going to I mean, I can imagine I can I can imagine you and you, you know, you are you're a tall man. And I can imagine you're, you're on your hands and knees with this tiny little crocus on the ground. I can imagine you sort of there, sort of hunched over it with a tiny pair of scissors, sort of snipping them out really carefully, hoping you don't get a gust of wind. Is that fairly accurate? What's it like to harvest? Yeah, 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 sort of, but more, <laughs> more tweezers. <gasps> oh, even harder. Oh, we've not got that many flowers. I've, I've seen videos and they're fantastic to watch on these, I, I would say, big commercial agricultural production uh, where there's picking in, in Darjeeling. Lots of ladies go out and they, they, pick, they pick the whole flowers and take them back and then separate them. So they take the whole flowers. And by doing that, I, I suspect by taking the flower, all the goodness goes back into the bulb and the bulbs come stronger. So, you know, we're doing it on a different scale, but there's some fantastic um, videos to watch um, with these commercial producers. But I'm doing it on a smaller scale. And So you know. when you've been out there with your tweezers and you've, you've, you've collected the stamen, how do you how do you do you have to do something to them to preserve them or is it like they go into a little pot with a lid like jam i mean how do you how do you preserve them and and uh yeah how, how does that work 
you've well basically you've got to dry it out desiccate it um and so we've got a, a special little machine that we also use for drying out our pollen our bee pollen and that tends to do it if you if you store it fresh it's got a certain amount of moisture in it and if it's if it's not used within a certain amount of time it, it could possibly go off so if it's desiccated dried that's how you normally buy it when you get it from um your health food shops or wherever you get your saffron from it's it's normally desiccated dry and then it all it all almost um i mean it needs using within a few months but it, it will save for a long long time like that it's interesting and that's how you do it so have you you've obviously got you've, you've obviously had a harvest fairly recently have you cooked anything or baked or made anything with this year's harvest yet i've not yet it's still drying and like i said i'm, I'm because i've not got mm. a lot it's mm. only a few grams um it's it's going to go into the the gin right so tell us about how tell us about this gin so it's it's a gin that is infused with um honey and saffron sweetened with honey yeah and uh, saffron to color and, and taste it very slightly but like i say i'm still working with this um my my other gins which i'm very proud of are my slow gin and raspberry gin which are absolutely fantastic and the, the saffron gin needs a little bit more work. It's fascinating. This is what I, I, I enjoy when I when I chat with you is that you are you are always up to something foodie or drink wise. You're always sort of looking and thinking, what can I do with this? How can I do that? And it's just lovely to hear that you are making your own slow gin and you are you are sort of doing it's just it's brilliant. And the thought that you've, you've actually sort of thought saffron gin it sounds it sounds good it's exciting now we have briefly mentioned the fact that you are a beekeeper and you're a commercial beekeeper you've got a honey brand the artisan honey company and you um you're producing that and you've got lots of bees now i've been very lucky i have been to where all your hives are and i've met your bees and it was really a lovely really really lovely experience but how are your bees and what are they doing at this time of year it's kind of going heading into winter what are they up to yeah, I, I remember that time when you came up and it, blimey, it, it's, yeah, it was a fantastic day. And it was lovely. And I think you, you were pleasantly surprised, well, how calm they were. So that, that was, that's always nice. And yeah, they were. It, they, it, whenever you see some kind of something on television or some, Midsummer Murders or something like that, there's always someone being chased by bees, isn't there? They kind of get a bit of a bad press in a way. And so that I found do. them, I found them all really calm and, they were friendly. They weren't bothered by me. You gave me the. You told me what to do. You gave me the right advice about going near the hive, and you told and we and I was well protected. I had one of those uh, outfits on with the thing over your face, so I, I, you know. And you told me how to behave and what to do. So I had the best advice. But it was such a really calm and sort of profound kind of experience. Yeah, it usually is for everyone, and I mean it's great afterwards. And just hearing you talking about it now, you know, it makes it all worthwhile because yeah there's there's some horror stories but uh overall they they're good and what they're doing now i mean we're into uh november and they sh they should be honkering down for for the winter and and not being as active but these balmy temperatures that we've been getting the last well almost since the summer 17 degrees in in october it's it's really crazy um and the bees associate those warm temperatures with flowering plants and they go out looking to collect pollen and nectar and they find 
very little or nothing at all. So they've wasted all that energy on their foraging flight up to three miles away from the hive. So a lot of energy expended. They go back to the hive tired and hungry and they go back and they consume the stores in the hive that really should be lasting them for going through to the winter to next spring when the flowers start coming again. So if they're expending all that energy and wearing themselves out, they're not going to mm. live as long and they're going to no. consume food and we've got to replace that by feeding them. That's really quite disturbing to hear. And I find myself feeling quite sort of distressed for them and concerned about the bigger picture because we do, we do need bees. We need bees in the ecosystem. We need bees out there doing their thing, pollinating, you know, no bees, no food. It's as simple as that, no, isn't it really? Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, we are conscientious beekeepers and Honey is one of our main products, and we we harvest that again uh, ethically. And some of the hives we've not taken honey off at all this year, and the ones that we were harvesting from last uh, last week, um, we were just taking off what we thought was okay to do so, leaving them leaving them enough, bearing everything I've just said in mind. And we still might have to feed them a little bit in you know December, January, February. And fingers crossed that they have some flowering plants to come out to in the in the late winter. Well, we can record uh, something else again uh, early in the year, next year with your bees and keep in touch with them. And as always, it's been fascinating. And uh, if we want to learn more about you and your bees and your honey, where can we find you? You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, we're going to be at the Lincoln Christmas Market. We're getting ready this week. We go and set up the Chatsworth uh, Christmas Market. We've got um, Millstream Square at Sleaford coming up in December and also uh, Lednam. There's a fantastic little thing happening both at Millstream and Lednam um, where they're putting on all these wonderful markets and you can come and meet us and get some of our products there. And talk about bees and ask about the, uh, the saffron as well. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So you'll, you'll get loads of questions now. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, th uh, this is Simon Croson. He's from the Artisan Honey Company. He's a commercial beekeeper. And as we have now discovered, he also likes to dabble, um, dabble very professionally, I think. Probably dabble's the wrong word, I think, uh, in the world of saffron. Thank you for joining us, Simon. Thank you, Amy. It's been a pleasure.